running doesn't care about your age. Running doesn't care about your weight. It doesn't care about your nationality, your, your ethnicity. It doesn't care about any of that. Running wants you to embrace it, right? Running wants you to be one with it, run out in nature, and just enjoy the camaraderie of a community. You're never too old. I mean, I didn't start, as I mentioned, until 43. My mom's 80. She runs every day. That was Sasha Edge, one of the most inspiring runners I've ever known. And this is Are You Ready with Joanne Molinaro. Welcome back to another episode of Are You Ready with Joanne Molinaro, where we talk about how to get ready to live a more purposeful and empowered life. So before we get started on this week's episode, I just want to say thank you. It is, in fact, Tuesday. We are back on a regularly scheduled program. But like I said, I do want to thank you for indulging me with my more impromptu episode of last week. I received so many emails, so many comments on that episode, and it just makes me so happy and heartened to know that we have such an engaged community here with the Are You Ready podcast fans. So again, thank you all so much. So for this week's episode, I wanted to start off by sharing a question that somebody asked me the other day, how I gained the confidence to start a new career at the age of 43. And I told them, well, there are really three defining moments in my life that cultivated that level of like chutzpah, if you will. So first was that time in creative writing class in high school when a fellow student told me that the character in one of my short stories, surprise, surprise, me, always tries to do the right thing. Then, of course, there was that time in 2013 when I left my home, a bunch of very rarely used China, and my marriage to start a totally new life as a single gal in the city. And finally, there was that time in 2017 when I crossed the finish line of the Chicago Marathon. When you look back at these sort of three defining moments, at least in my life, it seems that the secret to confidence is proving to yourself that you can do the things you've labeled impossible. Now, randomly, follow me here, stay with me here, okay? This leads me to yet another thing that I've been thinking about a lot. For the past several months, my Google News feed has been pumping my phone with articles about these new miracle fat loss drugs. I think the most popular one, at least on my Google News feed, is Ozempic. This is entirely unsurprising since I've been on the hunt for such a miracle drug basically my entire life. Well, it now appears that we are on the precipice of a major medical breakthrough. With just one shot a month, you can lose those troubling love handles, those last 10 pounds, that stubborn inch around your tummy. So yeah, this is not a pharmaceutical commercial. (laughs) This episode is not being brought to you by pharma, not in the least. Here's the thing. It all sounds too good to be true, right? But honestly, having read like dozens and dozens and dozens of articles on this, thanks Google, I think that these drugs have the potential to change the way we think about food, our bodies, and the ever-evolving standards of wellness we aspire to. They're that effective. However, I read this article about Mark Wahlberg's take on these diet drugs. I know the algorithm was really working overtime that day, but you know what? I clicked. And he said something that I think is super important. You'd be surprised what you can accomplish 
when you're willing to do the work. Now, I'm all for people having access to life-altering medications, and there is obviously a part of me that is at the very least curious about whether a miracle drug like this one could soften some of the edges of my own disorder, or maybe even make them sharper. I don't know. I will say, though, that had this miracle drug been available when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, I might not have ever taken up running, and I would likely never have run a marathon. In my world, I would have seen no reason to do so. Running was just a very efficient way to burn calories. That's it. Eventually, running also became an effective way to manage my eating disorder. But as I've talked about before, the single best thing I've gotten out of running is that it continues to teach me more about myself It serves as one of the most compelling pieces of evidence against my own imposter syndrome. And I often wonder where I would be without it. If we live in a world that truly believes that the ends justify the means, how can we blame anyone for trying to get to the end, whatever the means? As the world turns to miracle fat loss drugs and chat GPT and AI and robots to make things easier, I also wonder what the hidden costs might be to these too-good-to-be-true shortcuts. That leads me right back to this week's podcast guest, Sasha Edge. At the age of 43, Sasha took up running and completed his first-ever marathon in just under four hours, three hours and 58 minutes to be exact. He never considered himself to be a runner. In fact, he's pretty sure he wasn't even wearing running shoes for that first marathon. And the minute he crossed that finish line, the first thing he said was, I'm never doing this again. But guess what? He did. And he got faster with every single year, setting his current personal best time of two hours and 47 minutes at Indy Monumental Marathon in 2021. He was 54 years old. Sasha's running story is incredible, like literally like not believable. Over the past decade, he's collected more personal bests and race category wins than most people have shoes, certainly more than I have shoes, and that's a lot of shoes. But that's not what makes his story so inspiring. The minute you hear Sasha's voice, you'll instantly understand that seemingly ordinary people That guy you work with at the warehouse, the father of those two boys, the friend you call over to watch the game, they can do extraordinary things. And thus, so can you. How are you doing, Sasha? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Thanks so much for coming. Glad to be here. Really? Yeah, I am. (laughs) A little little tired from this morning's run, but actually, this is nice. I've never done a podcast. Oh, wow. So you are my first. We will make it as delightful as possible. Looking forward to it. I will begin by asking the very easy question of what did you run this morning? So ran 18 miles with Dan Walters Running Group out in Barrington. Ooh, oh, okay. See, 18 miles is one thing, yeah. <laughs> doing it in Barrington. Yeah, this is only, I think, the third or fourth time I've done hills in the last two or three years. So nice wake-up call. It's brutal. Yeah. yeah. 18 miles is tough, but with the Barrington Hills in particular, I always found those to be the most dreadful of yeah, all If you the do hills. the Barrington Hills, you're set for Boston. I'm not doing Boston, but if you can do those, you can do Boston, no problem. So if you're not training for Boston at the moment, what are we training for? 
So on the docket this year, all I've got so far, I've got a 5K in two weeks. I've got the Shamrock Shuffle, which everybody loves. It's a pretty big race here in Chicago. And then I'll do Chicago Marathon and New York Marathon in the fall. Wow. Okay. I'll see you in New York. I will see you there. <laughs> You're doing it, I think. Yeah. You know, I got this random email saying, you have a complimentary something, something for the New York City, a guaranteed spot with the New York City Marathon. And I was I'll like, I'll it's take it. harder to get into that marathon. Yeah, it is. But you're right. Sometimes I wonder, why do we want to get into these marathons? <laughs> like, it's incredibly hilly. It's a bruiser, that one. Yeah, we want those things that are tough, I guess, for us. So. Yeah. Have you run the New York City Marathon before? I did run twice, 2015 and 2016. So this is, New York's one of those ones that's hanging over my head. I finished the 16 and I think it was like three hours and like, one or two seconds. Ah. So it's one of those ones I'm doing. It, it's really out of vanity. I hate to say this, but <laughs> I'm doing it just to break three hours. I'm trying to have all of mine be under three. So. Hey, I think whatever motivates you. It's <laughs> <laughs> bad, but it's true. <laughs> so that was back in 2016, you said? Yes. How long have you been running marathons? So I started running. I don't know if I should say this or not. I'm 56. I started running when I was 43, I think. So started my first marathon was the Chicago Marathon 2010. What was the hesitation in disclosing your age? Uh, you know, I don't know. There shouldn't be. I feel great. Maybe just dis disclosing it in, uh, you know, in a venue that's going to be public and anybody knows it. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so 2010 was my first marathon. Wow. And you were in your mid-40s at the time. 43. What made you decide at the age of 43, I'm going to run a marathon? You know, it's funny because at the time, a number of people that I worked with had done the Chicago Marathon like year after year, and they were always trying to get me to do it with. I was one of those folks who grew up playing a lot of sports, always went to the gym. And I was just like, why on earth would I ever want to run 26.2 miles? And then the year before I did that, I did, I ran like almost every day, only 15 or 20 minutes for like a year. And I thought, you know what? I ran every day without injury. I can do this. So I found some online free program, signed up, and there you go. That was the start of my journey. And so you went from running 15 minutes a day to training for a full-blown marathon? Yeah. The only other race that I can think of that I've ever done, this is some years before that, when ballet was associated with the Chicago Marathon, it was called like the Ballet 5K. And it was really more of a jog for me. And two minutes into the race, I twisted my ankle on some big rock I stepped on. Ankle swelled up like a balloon, finished the race, but that's it. I was not a runner. Never been a runner in my life. Really? Yes. You say that you're not a runner, and yet... I was not a runner. You was not. Okay, you were not a runner at that time, but at some point, that was something that allowed you to believe that you could run 26.2 miles? One, just I think... Overall fitness, I was in decent shape, but it was really more of a challenge for me. Like, you know, fitness is a great challenge. So I was like, can I accomplish this? You know, less than 1% of the population runs marathons. So I was like, can I become part of this elite group? Have you always been driven by finding challenges for you? <sighs> That's a tough question. I think yes, in the respect that I've always liked reading like sort of like self-help books, right? Things, what can I do to be a better person, to be better at my job, to be better this, to be better that. But physical challenges, I don't know that I ever went after a physical challenge like this before. Take me through what the training was like, because again, I think that Sometimes people do think, oh, well, you know, I'm in decent shape. I'm pretty good. I can run a marathon. Yeah. 
But it's a bit of a rude awakening, especially when you realize that's four months of training. Your weekends are gone. (laughs) You don't have a life anymore. There's a lot involved with training. Yeah. It was interesting because, again, I didn't really know anything about training. So as I mentioned, I just found some, I think it was a Hal Higdon online I used that one for my first marathon, too. I found that online, and I ran by myself. I would just get up go and run. It's funny, if, <clears throat> excuse me, if I look at pictures of like that first marathon, everybody does this. They look at their early days of pictures and you're in these big like basketball shorts or I don't even know if the shoes I wore were running shoes, to be honest with you. <laughs> right? I, I was not what a runner was supposed to look like. I don't know if I would say it was difficult because back at the time, it was really more just running. It wasn't about time. It wasn't about speed training. I really didn't do any of that. So it was about, can I go time-wise, the distance or the mileage. It was a great challenge that first year. As soon as I was done, I said, I will never, ever do this again. This is the worst thing in my life. And then I proceeded to run Chicago 10 straight years. Okay. So you went from, I will never run a marathon again to, I will run this, this particular marathon 10 times. 10 straight years, 10 straight PRs. Wow. That's incredible. I love what you said about how for that first marathon, you didn't have a time goal. It wasn't about speed. Presuming you just wanted to finish the race. Yeah. If I think back, I think my goals were don't get injured, finish the race and try and complete the race without walking. Mm. I just, even if I had to jog slow, I just wanted to make sure I kept moving the entire race. So I did accomplish my goals. What did you finish that race in? Uh, my first marathon, it was like a 3.59. So I just barely got under the four-hour mark. Or four hour mark sorry. Did you know that when you were kind of turning the corner for the last 0.2 miles? I had, no <laughs> I, had, I had no idea. I don't even know what kind of watch I used at the time. I most definitely wasn't until all the technology. The Garmin. Just whatever the time was, I was happy. I was done. Never again. (laughs) So why did you say never again? It was just, it was grueling to your point about you don't know what you're getting into until you get into it. It was, it was just a long race, four hours of continuous running for someone who went from zero to 60. Like it was, it was just grueling. It was just a tough race. So I was glad I did it, but I promised myself at that point in time, I will not do this again. (laughs) So tell me, how did that lead to changing your mind? So at some point, it's like, okay, after I got over the pain, the agony, I thought, all right, let me give this another shot. Let me do this again. So I did it the next year, and pretty similar result time-wise. I think I I bettered my time by a minute or two. And then I remember en route to the training, like I was doing, I think, the Soldier Field 10 Mile Mm -hmm. or something like that, and the pacer was next to me. He's like, hey, you know. What are you training for? I'm like, oh, I'm training for the Chicago Marathon. He's like, oh, who do you train with? I'm like, what, what do you mean who do I train with? I j- just run. What, what is? What kind of question is that? I, I didn't know I was supposed to be training with somebody. And he's like, oh, why don't you come train with us? You know, CES out of Fleet Feet. He's like, we train every Saturday. He's got a bunch of people. That next Saturday, I went to Fleet Feet and joined really? them. Ran, again, similar time. And I think the only difference with this, I think this was part of the catalyst. I think how I got running more. So for those of you who are new to running, not all marathons are created equal. While all of them require you to run 26.2 miles, some are harder than others. The terrain and even the time of year can make crossing the finish line of certain marathons more challenging and thus more impressive. The Boston Marathon is one of the most difficult and storied major marathons in the world. Now, part of Boston's allure, especially for competitive running types, is how hard it is to even get a chance to run it. Because so many people want to run it, the organizers have created qualifying times for aspiring runners called 
BQs that are notoriously difficult to make. So in other words, you need to run another marathon before you even get a chance to maybe run the Boston Marathon, and it has to be within a specific time. I knew that Sasha had run Boston many, many, many times, but I had no idea how he got there after running marathon times that were pretty far off from a BQ. I think it was after my second, because it was either my second or my third marathon, a good friend of mine, Marty KC, shout out to Marty, he left a book on my desk, The History of the Boston Marathon. I think it must have been after my third race, because he said, hey, Sash, you know, just so you know, you're not far from qualifying for the Boston Marathon. I was like, Boston Marathon. I, I heard of it, but I didn't really understand how big of it was. So as I looked up the qualifications time, then I was now determined to make my foray into Boston. Was it the fact that there were times that you needed to qualify for that sort of motivated you or propelled you into saying, hey, now I have a very specific number that I need to reach and I'm actually within shooting distance of this? You know, probably. I don't know if I thought about it that way, but again, goals are good for me. I'm a goal-driven person. And as I think back, knowing that, hey, this is one of the most prestigious races, marathons in the world, and it's very selective, it now became a new challenge for me. Do you remember what that qualification time was? Like, how far away oh, were you? That's a great question. <laughs> I, I, I'd have to look it up. That's, I was probably off at the time by like maybe 15 minutes or so. That's pretty substantial. Yeah, but it's funny. Most runners will probably tell you this. My early days of running, once I really started running, right, started training with people and realized, hey, if you actually apply some logic to your running and actually do things like speed training and things like that, I started dropping times like 30 and 40 minutes at a crack from marathon to marathon. So first marathon in 2010, 2013, I participated in the Boston Marathon three years later. I went from zero to participating in it. Are you serious? And as we know, 2013 was also the year of the bombing. <laughs> oh, wow. So my first Boston yeah. Marathon was amid all that chaos. So did you get to finish it? I did get to finish it. Luckily, it was actually... Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's, you know, it's like you can't really describe it unless you were there. I was racing and, you know, a couple of buddies of mine, we all agreed to meet at a certain hotel right past the finish line. We weren't staying there, but if you were to actually Google the hotel versus where the bomb went off, it was a five-minute walk. Oh, my God. And we're in the hotel and we're in the lobby, and all of a sudden there's just pandemonium. People are shouting and screaming. We're like, what happened? And, and they're like, a bomb went off. Oh, my God. And I'm there with my buddy, and he's waiting for his wife and, you know, we're waiting and waiting. We're like, okay, so what's going on? So we go out in the street, and then they're like, there's another bomb. And I've never seen, like, so many unmarked black vehicles on the street. You know, they shut down the phones. They shut down, you know, the train systems. And other than standing there with my buddy, I'm there by myself. So, like, I don't know what am I supposed to do. Like, if you're in the middle of it, you run to help. But you're five minutes removed and there's chaos, people running every which way, you have no idea what to do. You have no idea how to get back to your hotel because they shut all the buses, the trains down. So it was, it was a little traumatic mentally, I would say. Yeah, I would say for your first Boston Marathon to have that incredibly tragic event. So as you can probably tell by my reaction and my abject inability to say much more than one-syllabled words, I was totally taken off guard. It simply never occurred to me, though, quite frankly, it should have given the timing that Sasha's very first Boston Marathon was the one that had been bombed. Three people were killed and 260 injured during this domestic terrorist attack. 
and Sasha was right there when it happened. So after all of the pandemonium, how did that all settle? Like, I'm trying to, like, even imagine, like, you know, you're sitting at the hotel, you're kind of, like, watching and observing and not really knowing where to insert yourself. I mean, how do you kind of gather yourself mentally to say, all right, I got to go back to work tomorrow or I got to go back to yeah, Chicago that's, that's tomorrow? A good question. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the first thing that was going through my mind is, like, I could look at my phone and I must have had, and I kid you not, like, 60 mixed, missed calls. Of course. But I can't reply to anybody because they've shut the cell towers oh. down because they were afraid maybe people were triggering it. Can't get on a train. You know, I'm like, okay, how do I even find my hotel? It was probably like a 20-minute train ride or whatever. So you start walking. Finally, I found a Starbucks, I don't know, a couple miles away, whatever, right? You're walking, you're in your marathon clothes, and they had Wi-Fi service. So the first thing I did was there, believe it or not, I got on social media, sent a note to my buddy. I said, hey, can you please let my family know? Okay. And then I got back to the hotel, and, you know, you have to show an ID. I'm like, you know, I don't have an ID. I just ran a marathon. (laughs) You know, they're trying to watch for everybody. And I get back to the hotel, and I really remember turning on the TV and seeing images that I wasn't prepared for. And I'm not going to lie, I just broke down crying. It was was mentally traumatic. Didn't know what to do. Like I said, I'm there by myself. You know, you call your family, you assure them that you're okay. And then I think after that, like, you're st- I think it took a while for me to process all this. And I think what really helped is, you know, the, the movement of everybody to go back next year, to claim what was ours, the, the right to run safely, right, to be part of a community that cares. And I think that's really what helped me because I did go back the next year. I ended up doing Boston three straight years. I've done it, you know, again since then. But I think that helped me. But, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to sort of how do you process all that information? I don't know that it's really possible to process it in a very short period of time. Not certainly, you know, 48 hours. You go back to normal life the next day or the day after. I think it makes a lot of sense that especially because you were alone and you didn't really have anyone to share that sort of trauma or grief with at that time. But thank God you extracted yourself safely from that. Have you kept in touch with any of the people who ran that race with you? I do have a friend, another shout out here, Jason. Jason D, you know who you are. We talk every once in a while, and I think, you know, I mean, he even had, like, a tribute tattoo done. I don't really talk to anybody about the event, believe it or not. And I'm actually a little proud of myself, sort of, that, you know, usually when I talk about it, I get a little choked up. It's it's, it's honestly a little hard for me to talk about. Mm-hmm. But, no, I, I, I have told a couple people, sort of, but I don't think I've ever gone back and talked to people that were there in the moment with me mm-hmm. to see how did you cope with it, what did you do? Sometimes you don't need to. I think sometimes the solidarity and just knowing that the other person knows without having to acknowledge it in any real verbal or overt way, I think there's a lot of power in that as well. But I think it's a testament to you and your strength and courage to be like, I'm going to come back next year and I'm going to do this again. And I'm, yeah, I'm going to take it back. Yeah. Be that as it may, I mean, it's I, I don't want to gloss over the fact that you set out a goal, like literally your third year into running marathons where you're literally going to qualify to run in one of the most difficult <laughs> marathons to not just run, but to get into, to even have the opportunity yeah. to run. And 
again, I know, you know, you were a little bit cringy about sharing this. You were in your mid-40s at this time, right? Yes, I was 46 at the time. I mean, there aren't a lot of people who say one day, I'm going to run a marathon in my mid-40s, and in a couple of years, I'm going to qualify for the most difficult marathon that exists. Was that something that you'd ever dreamed you would do, like 10 years before you started running? It was not even a thought until my buddy Marty put that book on my desk. I'm not going to lie. I had never thought about it. It was just... I think I can do a marathon. Let me go out and try this. I didn't even know what the world major marathons were. I was just, let me run Chicago. And then it morphed into Boston. Then I learned about the world majors. Then I was like, okay, let me try and start making my way around, you know, hitting up the other world majors. And New York was next in 2015. You talked about earlier how you started to run with a little bit more I think you'd use the word logic, like I'm going to do these logical things or I'm going to start adding speed training into my workouts or I'm going to, you know, maybe experiment with, you know, different things to see if that has an impact on your running. And you're literally cutting 30, 40 minutes per race. That is remarkable. And I know that there are probably a lot of people who are listening who would love to know the secret to that sauce. Like, what is that? Like, what were you doing to be able to cut such substantial times from your PRs? You know, that's a great question. I think, uh, really, I think it was just focusing about the training because, again, I didn't know what to do before. Focusing about the training, getting better about the health and the diet. I was always fit, you know, not you know, fantastic fit, but I was always fed. I grew up, like I said, playing, you know, sports and doing things like that. I think it was really just the determination and just working really hard and understanding what it would take, applying those things, you know, speed training, interval training, long runs, things that I knew nothing about before joining a group and running with a group or looking at a free online program. And I think it started to pay dividends and it showed like if you apply yourself, you can succeed, whether it's running or whatever. Was there something else in your life where you had that experience where if you put in the work, you tweak your program, you do the research to figure out how to improve the result, that you would see such incremental gains. Because I think that's something that's very unique to running is that it's one of those things where if you put in the right input, you're going to get the right output. And that's why people continue to come back. But I'd be interested to see if you had a similar experience in other pursuits. Yeah, I, the only thing I can liken it to, and it's not really a physical pursuit, is as I think through my work life, right? I've, I've always been a hard worker. And at the time, a company that I was working for, Granger, I just remember I was always a hard worker. I, I started there just literally, I saw an ad that said warehouse, you know, and I went in there and I would see, you know, people unloading trucks. They go in there with, you know, this one, these little dollies to pull all the product off. So I would bring two in, right? They're doing one, I can do two. And then I guess where I'm trying to get to is through my hard work and even reading, like I said, I used to like to read a lot of self-help books and stuff like that. Over the course of 15, 20 years at Granger, which is how long I was there, literally every two years I got a new job at Granger. And it was, I've never interviewed during that process. It was always someone tapping me on my shoulder, recognizing the effort and the output and the mm-hmm. results. So again, it's not sports related, but again, it's if, if you apply yourself in the proper manner, right? If you're a hard worker, if you work smart, you will get results. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how old you are. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me of no, age. Because <laughs> I think that's just the most remarkable thing about your story. Because, I, I mean, whether you call it an elephant in the room or not, I can certainly 
draw so much inspiration from that because I started running in my mid-30s and I did it mostly for diet. You know, I, was, I needed to lose weight because I had gained a lot of weight from my divorce. And I was like, oh, I live right next to this thing called Lake Michigan. I might as well start running. It's free. And that's why I started running. I didn't really start racing until a few years even after that. And there was always some part of me that said, well, I'm not in my 20s. I can't run fast. I can't, you know, have goals. You're lucky if you cross one mile without falling flat on your face. Yeah. yeah and, and that's the remarkable thing about, you know, really any runner's story, but particularly those who, for whatever reason, whether it's their age, their size, you know, whatever limitation that they have in their own head that they kind of use, whether it's an excuse or a crutch or something else to prevent them from really excelling at something that can change your life. Thus far, Sasha's story is like knocking bottles off a ledge with a BB gun. He stands surrounded by PRs and racing medals, once he gets an idea in his head, nothing seems to stand in his way. But not surprisingly, there's more than the famous Chicago wind at his back that propels him across all these amazing finish lines. It's funny you mention that because I, I know your focus is asking me about myself, Sasha Edge, but like my mother as an example, she's 80 and runs five to 10 miles a day. That's unbelievable. She goes out for five miles. So it's hereditary. Uh, you know, I don't know. I actually asked her recently, I said, mom, you know, I don't even really know your running story. Like, when did you start? Because her and my stepfather, they moved to Florida for about 16 years. And I would go there and I remember I'd go out running with her and I'd, you know, run up a mile ahead and then double back to get her. Then I'd run up a mile, double back to get her. And we'd run every day. But she, I think she said she thinks she started around 95, which is before me. But I said, are you sure? I said, I don't remember you who got who into running. But literally... Uh, she'd kill me if I said, told you her. You know, she goes out, she'll run five in the morning, she'll come back, relax, eat some lunch, and then she'll go out and eat another five. But she's also really healthy from a diet perspective. For the most part, vegetarian. I'm not. We'll get you there. And I'm willing to take some baby steps, just like with the marathon. But again, she's got a really clean lifestyle. And at 80, she's out there every day. You know, I talked to her recently, and she had a period of like, say, four or five weeks where she was running 40 miles a week. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She'd be like, what'd you run to? I'm like, oh, I ran eight. She goes, oh, I ran 10. I'm like, okay, <laughs> All right, challenge accepted, mom. So, yeah. What do you think it was like having a mother like that who clearly valued fitness and health and nutrition, sounds like for a good chunk of her life, just kind of being that person in your life, that anchor for you? <sighs> that's, that's a great question. I'm just trying to think how to answer it because I've always looked up to my mom. So single mom, raised two boys, Worked multiple jobs. I can remember at one point in time she was working like three jobs just to, you know, be able to do things for us. She would send us to baseball camp, even though we didn't have the money to do it. You know, you're going to Miller, Missouri and playing baseball for a couple of weeks straight. We didn't have the money to do it. So she's always been an inspiration. I've always looked up to her for more than just the things that you just mentioned, just for being able to help me become the type of person I am to help my brother become the type of person that he is. And I just, I can't say enough about her. Mm -hmm. Has she ever run a marathon? She has not. And she does have goals of it. I did pace her for a half marathon a couple of years ago and she was elated and she does have goals of doing it. In fact, I talked to her today, I think it was today or yesterday and I was talking about Boston and she said, 
I would like to do the Boston. She could qualify. (laughs) Uh, So I've told her, mom, pick a marathon. I will pace you the entire way. You just have to pick one and let's just figure it out with the training. I believe honestly that anybody can do a marathon with proper training. It might not be, you know, the times may vary, but anybody's capable of it if you try. You talked about the world majors that at a certain point, I think even by the time you were running Boston, that was when the world majors kind of came onto your radar. Can you explain for our listeners what the world majors are? So the world majors sponsored by Abbott, there's six marathons that are really the pinnacle of racing for most marathoners. There's Boston, New York, Chicago, London, Tokyo, and Berlin. And when you complete these six majors, you're called a six-star finisher, right? Because you finished the six world majors and you get a special medal that shows your accomplishment. You get a certificate that also shows each of the six majors the names and the times on a certificate. And it's a very small population. I think when I completed mine, I think my sixth one was in, I want to say, I think 2018 or 19 with London. I got an email from them saying, hey, congratulations on becoming a world majors, you know, six-star finisher. But at the time, I want to say there was only something like, I want to say less than 2,000 people in the world who had completed it. So it's, it's a pretty prestigious award to be able to complete those. So once you finished Boston, that was not enough. You then needed to do the, the six-star majors. Yeah, so then I went on to New York in 2015. It was a very humbling experience for me. The bridges are no joke. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's very tough. And, you know, New York, again, it's like I said, it's just it's one of those ones I wanted to do again. So I did New York. And then after New York, I think I qualified with time. I think in 2016, I did Berlin, which was a great, it was my first international race, so a great experience for me. Then, uh, let's see, after Berlin, I did Tokyo. I think Tokyo was 2017. Took my wife along with me on that one. Beautiful. Oh, what a beautiful experience. The people, the country, I can't say enough about the atmosphere there. And then I did London, and that was the capstone of it. So I completed it, got my six-star medal, got my certificate. I've actually almost completed them again twice. Oh, I, my gosh. Is yeah. that your next goal? No, not really. <laughs> the 12-star? No, it's, it's <laughs> happened accidentally, to be honest. Literally, all I have to do is Tokyo again, and I'll have done them all twice. There'd have to be a really good reason to get me to do it. I, I don't need that second medal. I don't need it. I've done it once. I'd rather maybe go try some other international, you know, venue to be able to get just a nice new experience out of it. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I learned from your coach, our coach, <laughs> Dan Walters, is that you actually visited the world championships. Is that right? Yes. So about two years ago, they established the age group, Wanda Age Group World Championship. So it's for masters runner, those over 40. Last year was the second year and you basically have to qualify. So for those listening, take note because it's actually a really fun event and you can run as many marathons as you want. And they have a list on the website of all the qualified marathons and you get to keep your best two times. And basically it's a point system. You get points based on how close you finish to winning your age group or how close you finished to the person who did win the age group. And then they take a certain amount of people from every age group from 40 all the way up till 80 plus. 
And it was great last year when I got that email that says, hey, you were cordially invited to participate in the World Championships, which would be held in London in 2022. So yeah, last year and October, early October, I got to go and participate in London Marathon. It's really a race within the race. So within the London Marathon, you have the age group championships going on. You have a bib on your back that shows your age. So you're a target for anybody that's in your Mm -hmm. same age group. And when you're done, you get two medals. You get a medal from from the race itself, so in this case, London, and you get one for the Age Group World Championships. That's incredible. Now, where did you place in the World Championships? I placed 11th in my age group. That's unbelievable. It <laughs> was a pretty great experience. Now, did you have that as a goal? Like, I want to make it into the World Championships. I want to be invited. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. We're, we're at the so po- you're collecting all the age group wins yeah. very strategically. Yeah, we're at the point now where it's like, You know, I've still got really strong legs. I think I've mentioned, you know, I've basically, not counting COVID, last year out of 13 years in running was the only year I didn't PR in a marathon. So I feel like I still have strong legs and there's some things I would like to accomplish while I still am fit and getting faster. Fun to hear me say that, but yes, getting faster at 56. So yes, it was a goal to get invited to the age group championships and to try and place within, you know, certain levels, so... As Sasha mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, he started running alone. And if you haven't done a 20-mile long run with nothing but the birds to keep you company, you really don't know what loneliness even is. Although he'd alluded to this earlier with respect to his experience with the 2013 Boston Marathon, I wanted to dive more deeply into the role that community has had on his running journey. I want to go back to something you said at the very early point in your running, I think you had just finished your first marathon. And during that 10 miler, the soldier field, somebody said, hey, you want to run with us? And I guess you joined with Fleet Feet after that uh, with CES. Yes. What role do you think the running community, whether it's part of a club, a local group, or even part of a team like DW Running, what has that what role has those things played in your kind of running arc? Yeah, I, I think that's helped in so many different ways. I think one, just from a community standpoint, from camaraderie, from making new friends, right? From working with people who have similar type of goals as yourself, right? I, I know this is going to sound bad, but, you know, misery loves company, right? That the 18 mile long run, when you're doing it with other people, it's so much more enjoyable. I'm not saying it's fun. <laughs> it's so much more enjoyable when you're doing it with others. So I think that's one aspect. Two, you actually learn how to train better, right? You learn whether it's from the coaches, the pacers, from the other runners, And you take all that information, you become a much better athlete. You really do. You become a better person because you're building a foundation with the community, with your friends. So I think it helps in many ways above Mm. beyond running. Mm. When you're running a marathon and a particularly tough one like New York, you know, full of hills that are just not fun. There's nothing fun about them. What do you tell yourself to get through the pain of that? Because I have to imagine there's that voice in your head that says, you know what? I've PR'd enough. I don't need to PR this time. (laughs) Never. Uh, I'm going to be honest. There's not. I it's bad to say, but I don't know how to race a marathon without going for a PR. Mm. I will say this though. I want to come back to your question, but I did Boston in the fall of 21. And that whole, that was set up 
Boston of that year and Chicago of last year, those were both training runs for me because like with last year, as an example, I had done London six days before Chicago. So I knew it was going to be just a training run. So I, I need to be careful if I say I don't know how to race without going for a PR. But when I'm in that moment, it's that's a great question. I'm not really sure what I think about other than, you know, I just try and focus on the mile that I'm in, right? I can't change what's happened. I can't worry about two, three miles down the road. All I can worry about is that mile that I'm in, that quarter mile that I'm in. How do I get through this? How do I keep smiling, stay happy in the process, find a way to high five someone every once in a while? But it's it's definitely a tough process. Imagine you're out there for a couple hours. I don't utilize music, earbuds, or anything like that. So it's just me with all my you know with my own thoughts and how do I distract myself from the pain, from the dehydration, from the elements of the you know the wind, the rain, whatever it may be. Again, I think I just try and stay in the moment. You just listed off all these horrible things that while anybody like normal person would listen to that dehydration, the pain, all of those things, especially without having the benefit of a podcast or music to distract you. Why do you think that long distance runners in particular and why do you think yourself that you've pursued these things that cause unmitigated pain, like in your life, like it's hard, it's not fun. And yet there's something about it that continues to draw you to it. Yeah, I, I think it's just honestly, for me, it's it's the personal challenge of getting better. It, it really is. It's, it's how good can I be at something I love? Mm. And this is going to sound weird because like last year I did really well at winning my age group, but I'm not going to lie. When I go out there, it's how do I improve upon myself? Whether it's the time or can I do a negative split, meaning the second half of the race is faster than the first half, right? What can I do to improve? And I think that challenge itself is what keeps bringing me back. I mean, I'm looking at PR again this year. It's like every year, it's like, what can I do to be a better racer? So you're more motivated by improving on your own track record than you are beating out the people who are running against you? Yeah, like I can't really worry about them. Don't get me wrong. It's it's really nice to win an age group award, but I can't control them. I can't worry about them unless it's, you know, the, the age group championships where you see, uh, mm-hmm. you know, an age on their back. <laughs> You're like, got I got other, that guy on like, my crosshairs. Because I've got the bib. But really it's just about how can I be better than I was last time. Have you ever thought about running an ultra marathon? I have not, but I will tell you. So I, I've done a couple trail marathons, the Ice Age trail, trail up in Wisconsin. It was an endurance race. It was a marathon on a trail, but I remember I did it twice. And the second time, the group that I was going with not too long after we took off, we got lost. Oh, wow. So inadvertently, I think I'm officially an ultra runner because I've done <laughs> more than... Technically, you are, yes. Technically. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if I would do an ultra. I think right now... I'm good with where I'm at. I just want to crank it as hard as I can and see how fast I can get. And then we'll figure out what's going to go there. It's funny. I talked to my wife, who, by the way, last year, she completed her first marathon. She did Berlin. I'm so proud of her. But every time I tell her, you know, as soon as I hit this time, I'm done. I'm hanging it up. And she's just like, you are so full of it. You know how many times I've heard you say that every time you get a new marathon PR, you say, I'm done. And then you go and you find a new goal to hit. So, yeah. Yeah. What do you think is kind of next for running 
in general? Because you've been running now for quite a long time. And yeah, and I I imagine that running as a community and even the popularity of running has changed since 2010, since you first started. What do you think is in the future for running in general? Wow, that's a great question. I'm not even really sure how to answer that because, I mean, running, I feel like we have more and more runners every day, right? All speed, shape, sizes, ethnicities. It's such an all-inclusive sport. And really, what do you need, right? I mean, you need a pair of sneakers, some shorts, and a T-shirt. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a great – and outdoors, you don't even need any equipment. So that's great. I, I don't know if I know how to answer that. I just – I know it will – continue to become more and more inclusive. I think we'll find more and more people attracted to it. Yeah, I'd have to think about that. I really, I don't Mm -hmm. don't know how to answer that at this moment. I think one of the beautiful things about running and the running community is its diversity. Because there's such a low barrier to entry, it's not like a team sport where, like you said, you know, your mother had a hard time even affording to send you to baseball camp, right, to two weeks out of the year. And I often find that's the case with a lot of families is, well, we'd love our kids to play play soccer or baseball or football, but the equipment's really expensive or we need to send them to a private club for them to be competitive, you know, to really excel in that. With running, I feel like, like you said, you just have a pair of sneakers. You don't even need to watch, honestly. I mean, in the beginning, you just go ahead and run whatever you can. And I think because of that low barrier to entry, I find that it is one of the most inclusive sports in the world. And when you look at a race, if you just go to the start line of a marathon, I mean, like you said, it's every imaginable type of person. One of the things that you said early on is when you started, you didn't look anything like a runner. <laughs> you didn't consider yourself to be a runner. Oh, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I had the, you recall when they had the, the iPods and the big wristbands. <laughs> I had this big wristband, the iPod. I had, you know, the headphones in hat, the big shaggy shorts. And again, I, I, I wish I could remember what shoes. I, I guarantee you they were not running shoes. <laughs> You're I like, I was wearing like Air Jordans. <laughs> they, they were not. I mean, did not look like a runner, I'm sure. People were probably like, this guy's not beating me. <laughs> Well, maybe that's why you end up beating them is because they underestimated you. So just going back then, your first marathon, you ran it in just under four hours. What is your current best marathon time? So my current best marathon is 2021 Indy Monumental Marathon 247. Wow. So the goal for this year is break 245. That's that's what the goal is. That's amazing. Yeah, there you go. I said it on air. <laughs> so I'm hooked. We're got, keeping you accountable to it. Got to do it. Yes. <laughs> 247, for those of you who are listening, anything under three hours is a remarkable achievement. I mean, have you ever looked into the stats of how many people have even, like, of the marathon runners, how many get to a 247 marathon? It's got to be like a fraction of a percent or something I, like that. I have not. And it was it was a great day. But it's funny you say because everything's relative, right? So it's, it's really a great time. And especially, I think, at my age, it's a great time. But there were others that day we were all set out to do 245. I got out a little too fast on the start, right? Nobody ever says, you know, I wish I'd gone out faster, right? They ever all say, I wish I'd gone out slower. But around mile, I think... 20 or so, all the people that, you know, we were all supposed to be shooting for that sub 245, 
I'm watching them pass me because yeah. they were able to manage their time a little better. So it's all relative. It was great. It was one of my best races. It was my best race. But again, you know, proper management would have helped me break that 245 then. So you all know that I think running is pretty much the best analogy for life. And you've no doubt picked up on a lot of things that Sasha has said throughout where you were able to say pretty easily, you know, that works not just for running, but that works for life in general. Well, I wanted to ask Sasha about that directly, whether he's used the same approach he has in running in pursuit of other goals. With proper management in racing, I think it's such a great analogy for a lot of other things that have nothing to do with running. Because I think that when you set a goal, there is this tendency to say, oh, I got to meet this goal. So I'm going to just go flying out and I'm going to do everything that I can to meet this goal right now instead of perhaps pacing yourself, mm -hmm. instead of taking a minute to plan, like how am I going to actually manage this goal so that I reach it with, you know, sufficient energy. I think with a lot of newbie runners, what we often see is what you just described is I, I went out too fast, right? Because, you know, there's a lot of adrenaline, there's a lot, you know, and especially at Indy, it's a nice time of year, the weather's really great. You're like, oh, I could do this really easy. Your legs are fresh feeling. And I think when people set goals in life, there is that temptation to run out a little bit too fast. You talked about how with your career, that was one of those things where, again, you would see very concrete results to the effort that you've put in and to the hard work that you've put in. Every couple of years, you were getting promoted because people were valuing the commitment that you were showing to the company. I mean, other goals in your life, whether it's related to your career, your family, or other personal goals where you've had to step back and say, hey, let's make sure that we're managing this and that you're not like flying out and, and pacing yourself too quickly? Yeah, I think honestly, that, that's a great question. I think the biggest goal I've got now, honestly, it's, 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 it's around the kids, right? It's, it's so I, I don't know that it directly ties to your question, but for me, it's just like, how do I manage like an eight year old who's learning attitude, who's learning negotiation, learning back talk, right? And, <laughs> and you know, in the house, I'm the alpha male, right? But this, I'm getting challenged every day. So I have pre frequent conversations with my wife, like, you know, how do I adapt my style to be able to manage through this? Because at his age, right, he's not going to change, right? I've got to be the one. Mm -hmm. I've got to have that, you know, that change plan that says, okay, when this happens, this is how I need to deal with it. Because, you know, if you want to have results, you have to constantly be willing to look at how you manage yourself. You can't manage others. So, again, I'm not sure if it answers your questions, but I think the biggest challenge and how I alter my plan now is as I learn to be a better father. Well, I think that's so great because that actually ties back into running. And one of the questions that I actually had with regard to your ability to continue to PR year after year after year is there are so many things in a race that, that are completely out of your control, especially in Chicago. It's windy. It's 78 degrees. It's or it's, you know, brutally cold or it's raining. These are things that you cannot control. How did you learn to adjust to these things that are completely completely out of your control to still manage to PR year after year? That's a great question because as most people know, I think two things about my running is one, almost 100% of my runs are at like 4.30 or 5 in the morning. Mm. So I don't 
take away time from the family. I do it and I come back. Everybody's either still sleeping or just getting up. And the other thing is literally 99.9% of my runs are outside. The only time I ever use a treadmill is really like if I have to travel and I'm in a location and I don't know the area and maybe it's extremely dark there. But other than that, I go out there. And I think, again, going back to the whole challenging yourself, it's like, how do I become a stronger runner, a tougher runner, right? It's by embracing those elements that you know you'll have to face in a race, right? If I can't train in the heat, I'll never be able to race in the heat. If I can't train in the worst conditions, I'm not going to be able to race in those conditions. So I think it's just it's just about knowing that if you can overcome them during training, then they will pose, I, I need to be careful, they will pose less of a problem, mentally at least, during race time. Do you ever utilize the confidence or even the mental toughness that you develop as as a long distance runner for a pretty significant period of time to apply that in other challenges that have nothing to do with running? I think the only, the only thing I can think of is, you know, a lot of runners, I won't say most, but a lot of runners look at a lot of data, right? Mm. So whether it's your splits, whether it's the weather, whether it's wind conditions, so you learn to look at a lot of data to make your decisions. And I think that really has transcended as well to like my work life, right? So as I'm thinking through how do I solve a problem, right? You can't deny the data, right? You can make assumptions, you can do a lot of that, but the best way to make decisions is with data, right? Things that that you can prove things that, right, that you can apply. So I think in that sense, you know, I've taken some of that needing to be analytical about how I approach running and applied that to the work life. That's incredible. I've never heard that answer before. (laughs) Now I need to start looking more at my data. (laughs) I usually try to ignore it. (laughs) No, don't ignore it. (laughs) Well, what do you have to say to somebody, you know, probably not unlike myself when I first started running, oh, I'm too old to run. This is not in it for me. Or I don't have enough experience. I'm not fit enough. I'm not healthy enough to start running. What do you have to say to that person? And what is one thing you wish you knew when you first started running? I think to that person, I would just say running is all inclusive. Running doesn't care about your age. Running doesn't care about your weight. It doesn't care about your nationality, your, your ethnicity. It doesn't care about any of that. Running wants you to embrace it, right? Running wants you to be one with it, run out in nature, and just enjoy the camaraderie of a community. So I would say you're never too old. I mean, I didn't start, as I mentioned, until 43. My mom's 80. She runs every day. There's, you're never too old to run. And it's going to sound weird, but I, I wish I would have known how much I would love it at the time. Mm. It's funny because I used to go to the gym a lot. I remember my mom would say, like, oh my God, you're such a good runner. And I'd tell her, and you can ask her, I'd tell, mom, I'm not a runner. A weightlifter who also runs, I'm not a runner. And then I remember one year I said to my mom, you know what? You're right. I am a runner. So I just, I wish I would have known how much I loved it at the time. I might've probably embraced a little bit sooner, the, the communal part of it, made relationships sooner, had results sooner. So again, it didn't take me long to get there, but I had no idea that I was just going to happen upon a sport, a hobby, something that I love so much. Well, I have to pull that thread just a little bit because we've talked about all the aspects of running that are difficult, that are challenging, that are not fun, that are downright painful. What is the thing about running that you love so very much? Yeah, I I think it's just accomplishing what would appear to be 
an insurmountable goal. You know, let's just take my race in 21. That was a couple of years in the making. I mean, if you think about it, like I'm training for two or three years to improve by a couple minutes, right? So 2021 was my last PR, now it's 2023. So two years of training to try and get two minutes. So the elation you feel when you cross that finish line and know that anything is possible, right? If you put your mind to it, if you work hard and work smart, I, I think there's nothing like that. There's, you know, there's the hugs with your teammates after a race. There's the high fives. There's, there's just, it, it's just, it's pure joy. Mm, that's beautiful. That's like, a very lovely description of running. That's the truth. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Sasha, for joining. I can personally attest to the fact that I find your story to be so inspirational. I remember when I first saw you lay out like your first marathon time all the way to what was then your PR, which is still slower than your current PR. I remember thinking like, I had no idea that this guy who runs multiple sub threes at one point run a nearly four hour marathon. Cause you know, my best marathon is like a four seventeen or something like that's not that much faster than my marathon. And it really made me feel like maybe one day I could run as significantly faster as Sasha was able to do because wow, I'm in my forties, you know, and he started in his forties and yeah, I, there's nothing quite as powerful as seeing, like you said, that data, like stacked up in writing to prove to your doubting self, no, I maybe I can do this. Well, thank you again so much for your story, for sharing that with all of us. You're most welcome. I cannot even begin to describe how inspiring Sasha is. And I wish you all could have been in there in the room with us to just hear Sasha's voice as he told his story. There were so many parts of that chat where I was like, this is my favorite part. No, this is my, no, this is my favorite part. If I had to choose, I would say it's when he said that the thing he loves most about running is accomplishing what would appear to be an insurmountable goal. I want each of you to think about what that insurmountable goal is in your own life. It doesn't have to be a marathon. It could be a promotion at work. It could be having that chat with your dad. It could be teaching your grandma how to use Netflix. There are a lot of insurmountable goals out there, but think of one of those things. And then like Sasha did, rip the label impossible off of it. Otherwise, until next week, I hope you have a wonderful, inspired, and lovely day.